The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My observations this morning come from the portion of the Psalter that we uh, chanted this morning, Psalm 118, verses 14 through 29, if you care to follow along the text is in the bulletin. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Not to be too self-revealing, but over the course of time, I've had um, a temptation to, to over-direct my own Christian faith in two different directions. One is a flirtation with the Christian faith as just some sort of narcissistic head trip. And then every person who's gone to seminary or gone to grad school and, and just given themselves to studying these things just has looked that beast in the face. Is this all about just a narcissistic head trip? The other is just to be an you know, an angry young man or old man or old person or young, well, and you're just to be angry and, and to see the faith as being a, a mere agenda for social change. It was, it was the Psalms that saved me. It, it, it finally occurred to me at some point that there's a reason that God dropped a hymnal right into the middle of the Bible that he gave us, that we may know him not just with our head and our hand, but also with our heart. Today's portion of the Psalter is an excellent example of how this works. Psalm 118 is one of the psalms sung during the Passover cycle every year. Exodus's story becomes Israel's story. The verse 14 that is at the beginning of our passage for today, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Those are the first words of the song that Miriam led in Exodus 15 after Israel had gone through the waters of the Red Sea. It leads into the song of celebration of God throwing horse and rider into the sea, and it's the anthem that you'll hear the, the choir sing later today. The rabbis taught it wasn't they who were delivered, it was us, the us of every generation. Jesus and his disciples would have sung this very psalm, Psalm 118, that borrows from the imagery of Exodus 15. Jesus and his disciples would have sung this psalm as they departed the Last Supper for the Garden of Gethsemane. Singing it made the Exodus their own on that Passover night. And accordingly, in solidarity with generations of people whose faith is anchored in the faith of the Hebrew Scriptures, we sing Exodus 15 every Easter vigil after reading the story of the crossing. And so it's very appropriate here on Easter week two that we read a portion of this psalm. Here in this psalm, 
every Israelite of every generation celebrates three things. Victory on the far side of death, God's gift of righteousness on the far side of punishment, a state of blessedness and joy on the far side of rejection. Let me read the first couple of uh, blocks of text, starting in the middle of the first blocks. First block. There's a sound of exultation and victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord has triumphed. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord has triumphed. Victory on the far side of defeat. Liberation on the far side of slavery. How a song like this must have encouraged David as he thought about his need to be delivered and given victory over his enemies, Saul and the Philistines. And then after him, Israel and Judah in captivity, calling out to the Lord, where is your triumph? Where is your victory for us? Where is the release that you promised? And then it happens. And Jesus, on his way to the garden, sings of God's victory and God's triumph, anticipating his own upcoming triumph over sin and Satan. These notes are part of what had to sustain him. Secondly, God's gift of righteousness on the far side of punishment. Let me read the the third block of the text in front of us says the psalmist, the Lord has punished me sorely, but he did not hand me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter them. I will offer thanks to the Lord. With this portion of the psalm, every Israelite of every generation would remember that while the Lord had punished him for their sins, He had nonetheless opened gates of righteousness to them, and he had become their salvation. Imagine the power of this psalm to fortify Jesus on the way to the garden. For now, there would be an undeserved punishment. And one who should not have been handed over to death would in fact be handed over to death to bear others' punishment and break death's power over them. As we will pray in just a few moments in our Eucharistic prayer, to fulfill your purpose, he gave himself up to death and rising from the grave destroyed death and made the whole creation new. He was punished and was handed over to death, but the gates of righteousness did open to him. Imagine the power of this psalm to fortify him as he stepped into that dark reality. And third, the psalm promises, sings of a state of blessedness 
on the far side of rejection. Let me read the three blocks of text at the top of the next page. The same stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day, the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, Lord. Hosanna, Lord, send us now success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember those words from Palm Sunday? We bless you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has shined upon us. Form a procession with branches. This is hundreds of years before Palm Sunday. Form a procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. With this psalm, every Israelite of every generation owns, notice how this portion starts, with rejection. Every Israelite of every generation owns the rejection that they have experienced. Moses in Egypt, David in his wilderness wanderings, Israel and Judah in Assyria and Babylonia, and parenthetically, all the diasporas since. All the while leaning into the promise of a joyful procession with branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the blessedness, the sweet, joyful blessedness of being welcome at the altar the place of the very presence of God. Imagine how sustaining, imagine how sustaining this song must have been to Jesus on Palm Sunday. How comforting on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And now in the afterglow of Easter's victory over death for us, how poignant the picture of that procession with branches leading to Christ's hands outstretched on the horns of his altar, the altar cross, the blessed nails, not only becoming the means by which Christ grasps the horns of his altar, but the means by which all the rest of us Forgiven sinners in this act become no longer the rejected, but the welcome. No longer those living in darkness, but those on whom God sheds his shining smile. Aptly does this portion of the Psalter end in this last block. You are my God, and I will thank you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Victory on the far side of death. Righteousness on the far side of punishment. Blessedness on the far side of rejection. Today's collect asks that God grant that we may show forth in our lives what we profess 
in our faith. We're not, in the end, soulless brainiacs doing philosophy for philosophy's sake. Yet, we have been given truths to believe. That's why our gospel reading shows Thomas honest about his doubts, Jesus accommodating him and commending to us beyond him the blessedness of believing even if we have not seen. Nor are we robotic operatives pursuing some agenda of advocacy for advocacy's sake. Yet, we have been given instructions to embody hope. That's why our Acts reading shows Peter and the apostles answering bravely, essentially, we have to tell you what we know to be true. God raised Jesus to be leader and savior. And that means you all need to repent and obey him as we have. We have been given the splendid call and gift not only to believe and not only to hope, but to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we have been given sung prayers like the Psalms to give voice to love. So, how better to believe truth, to live hope, and to sing love. The one thing that I wish I could persuade everybody is to do the daily office, it's in our Book of Common Prayer, and follow its outline for praying the Psalms every day, going through all the Psalms in a seven-week cycle. That's the way it's laid out. And let the Psalms just lay, just become a repository of wonderful truth, powerful hope, and poignant love. So, my answer 